Welcome to this week's episode of the North Bible Church Podcast. Now, let's join our pastor as we open God's Word together. Very sweet. Uh, Well, we're going to continue in our summer playlist this morning, and here's what we're going to talk about this morning. We're going to talk about the idea of freedom. Um, You know, we... we, um, uh, we get freedom around here. We talk about freedom. We just celebrated our freedom, you know, of living in the United States, of people that have given their lives, have sacrificed, made the ultimate sacrifice for our freedom. But there's a lot of talk in the scripture uh, also about our freedom. And, and I want to give us a little bit of a, a different perspective on that this morning. But I, I can never really think or talk about freedom without giving a shout out uh, to Braveheart. Uh, because Braveheart had, as a movie in 1995, it has the best movie speech in history, right? Best movie speech about freedom uh, ever, and um, and it's the story of William Wallace, the great Scottish, uh, you know, uh, general and leader. And oh, millennials, that's not William Wallace. That's actually Mel Gibson who played uh, Wallace. So don't Google that and think it's William Wallace, uh, because in in 1297 A.D. Uh, when they had that battle, uh, cell phones didn't even have cameras then. So yeah, I know, go figure. Um, But we we wanna talk, so you gotta give a shout out to Braveheart. But the truth is that we might take our freedom for granted, um, you know, here in this country until someone sort of cramps our style, until someone sort of hedges in on our freedom, you know. Part of it is that, that we kind of live in a culture where we don't want anybody to tell us what to do. And then we have those silly, you know, uh, speed limit signs and things like that that kind of get in the way and kind of cramp our style and, and remind us that, well, not everything is free, not everything uh, is do whatever you want to do, but there's a philosophy often with people that you can do whatever you want to do as long as it doesn't hurt somebody, and anybody that puts restrictions on that is sort of crimping um, our freedom, but that isn't exactly what freedom means. That's not exactly what the Bible talks about uh, with freedom, and Galatians 5.1 says this, that for freedom, Christ has set us free. Stand firm, therefore, and do not submit again to a yoke of slavery. So we have this idea that Christ came to set us free that Christ came for our freedom. Now, there was an interesting, I don't know if you're familiar with TED Talks, but there was an interesting TED Talk by uh, a psychologist, a secular psychologist named Barry Schwartz, and he claims that many of us live by an unspoken but official dogma, maximize your happiness by maximizing your individual freedom. That, That the more you maximize your freedom, the more you'll maximize your happiness, and according to Schwartz, uh, that it's how you maximize your freedom is is that people will maximize their freedom of choice. And Schwartz points to his local supermarket as an example, a place where that offers 175 different kinds of salad dressings. Maximize your choice, you maximize your, your freedom. Even our personal identities become a matter of choice. You don't inherit and identity says you get to invent it, and we get to reinvent ourselves as often as we like, and, and that means that every day when you wake up in the morning, you have to decide what kind of person you want to be, and that's how we experience freedom. But here's what Schwartz says. He ends his talk by pointing to a picture of two fish in a fishbowl. I think we have that picture. Uh, 
And here's what he says. The truth of the matter is that if you shatter the fishbowl so that everything is possible, you don't have freedom. You have paralysis. If you shatter this fishbowl so that everything is possible, you decrease satisfaction. Everybody needs a fishbowl. The, the absence of some metaphorical fishbowl is, is recipe for misery and, as he says, I suspect, disaster. So this morning, I want to give us a different paradigm for freedom. It's a freedom to follow. It's a freedom to gratefully give our lives for something bigger than what we may feel like on a given day, even bigger than what's being pushed on us by others or, or maybe even by culture. So we're going to look at a story in the New Testament that I think does an incredible job of painting that picture for us. It, it, it's a passage, it's a story that, that you're undoubtedly familiar with. In fact, I even mentioned it briefly last week. It's out of the Gospel of John, chapter 8. Here's the story, beginning in verse 1. It says, but Jesus went to the Mount of Olives, and early the next morning he came to the temple, and all the people came to him, and he sat down and taught them. Let me just pause for a quick second, because I wanted to, to get understand sort of the context of this story, that for some reason John wants us to know that Jesus had gone up to the Mount of Olives. Now here's what we know about the Mount of Olives, that it was one of his favorite places to go for prayer. It was one of his favorite places that he would go to to talk to the Father. And so what we have, this image in John 8, is Jesus going uh, at night, and he goes to the Mount of Olives for a time of prayer, and then the next morning he comes down from the mount, uh, he goes to the temple, so we know he was in Jerusalem, he goes to the temple, and it says that he, when he gets there, crowds come, they flock around him, they want to hear what he has to say, they want to be near him, and it says that he sat down and began to teach. One of the other things that we know from the first century is that if you're a teacher or a rabbi, that, that you will stand and talk to people, you'll stand for uh, everything, but when it's time for teaching, when it's time to get serious, when you're going to instruct them out of the scripture, you would always sit. And sitting down was a signal for everybody else, okay, everybody get quiet, everybody get prepared because the teaching is about to start. So Jesus sat down and he began to teach them. And verse eight says, and once more, he, uh, oh, no, I'm sorry, uh, I got a little ahead of myself. He said uh, that the scribes and the Pharisees, as Jesus sat down to teach them, the scribes and the Pharisees brought a woman who had been caught in adultery and placing her uh, in the midst, they said to him, teacher, this woman has been caught in the act of adultery. Now the law, Moses commanded us to stone such women, so what do you say? And they said this to test him, that they might have some charge to bring against him. And Jesus bent down and wrote with his finger on the ground. So as we're taking a little closer look at this story, there are a couple other things that I want you to note. The, the first thing is, is that, that Jesus is teaching, and in the middle of his teaching, the scribes and the Pharisees bring a woman and they throw her on the ground at, at Jesus' feet, right in front of him. They interrupt the whole lesson, all that Jesus is saying. They, they throw this woman down at his feet and they say, the law says uh, that, that this woman is, who's been caught in adultery should be stoned to death, that she should be killed, that it's a capital offense. Now, scribes uh, in, in ancient times were scholars. Uh, they're teachers of the law. They actually scribe uh, passages, particularly the first five books of the Old Testament. Uh, they would write those down and continue to write them so that copies could be available in, in synagogues and in the temple and, and places like that for the teachers. 
Uh, so they were interpreters of the law, they were teachers of the law, they were scholars, so they were, they were highly respected. And then the Pharisees, uh, the Pharisees are a group, it, it, the Pharisee literally means to separate one, and they separated themselves because there was a point in history that they thought that the people of Israel were straying away from God's law, they were straying away from God's commands, and they were gonna bring them back, they were gonna show them how to be obedient to the law, uh, how to really be the most obedient, the, the most conservative, the most uh, protective of the law of any group, and so they separated themselves from that idea, and by the first century, they They'd become very prominent, very influential, uh, and, and they were sort of the model for how you obey the law. What happens to the Pharisees is that the law becomes so important that they leave God behind, and it really becomes about the law, not about a relationship with God. And so you have these scribes and Pharisees, and then the story begins to unfold that they bring this woman who's been caught in the very act of adultery. And they said the law says that this woman should be punished. She should be stoned. Now, here's what's really interesting, because I'm doing this read through the Bible in a year, and not too long ago, I finished the book of Leviticus, and, and if you're reading in Leviticus around the 20th chapter, it talks about what, uh, immorality, it talks about adultery, and here's what it says, that if a man and a woman commit adultery, they're both guilty, and they both uh, should be stoned to death, that they both should pay the penalty. So it's kind of interesting as we look at this story in John 8, where's the guy? He's missing. So what it tells us is that the scribes and the Pharisees, they really didn't care about the law. They didn't really care about this woman. She was collateral damage. What they were about is trying to test Jesus. They had devised this scheme. They'd stayed up all night talking to themselves, trying to figure out how do we, how do we discredit Jesus? Uh, how do we catch him in a trap uh, so that he doesn't have the influence, so that he's disgraced, so that we can get him uh, out of the way, and they come up with this idea that we're gonna set this whole thing up, we're gonna catch this woman in the act of adultery, we're gonna throw her at Jesus' feet, and we're gonna trap him. It was really about Jesus, it wasn't about this woman. But in the process, this woman is shamed, and she's humiliated, and she's exposed in front of all these people. And the story tells us that when they do this, Jesus kneels and he starts to write in the dirt. <laughs> and for about 2,000 years, scholars have been trying to figure out what was he writing? And some scholars think he was writing down in the dirt all the sins of the scribes and the Pharisees. My theory is he would have needed a lot more dirt <laughs> to do that, a lot more room, right? To get all of those out. I, I don't know exactly what Jesus was writing, and that's kind of a cool thing that someday we can ask him. But here's what I know for sure, is that these guys had just thrown this woman down at Jesus' feet. They had just publicly humiliated her. She, this was a shame culture, and to shame someone like this was just, it was unconscionable. And there she's laying in the dirt, and Jesus stoops down and he gets all the attention focused on him and off of her. As he's riding in the dirt, everybody's looking at him. Nobody's looking at her anymore. They're, see, they're watching Jesus, they're trying to see what is it he's gonna do. Here's the other thing that happens that I think is really powerful, is that while he's riding in the dirt, everybody is watching, everybody's waiting, and you have to be thinking if you're in the crowd that day, what's he gonna do? 
Because here's the test. If Jesus says, yep, that's what the law says, she deserves to be killed, go ahead and take her out of the city and stone her, well, then they're gonna say, yeah, but you've been preaching love and you've been preaching forgiveness and, and you're a hypocrite. Who, who should listen to you? You're, you're a complete fraud. You're a hypocrite. You're going against the very thing that you've been saying. But if Jesus says, well, forgive her, have mercy on her, forgive her of this sin, forgive her of what she's done, well, then they're gonna say, well, you're a blasphemer. You're not following the law. You're not following our traditions. And, and so they figure that any answer Jesus gives, they've got him. And they're going to discredit him, and they'll be done with him once and for all. And I'm thinking that they're pretty proud of themselves as they go into that courtyard. And Jesus is writing in the dirt. And then we get to verse 7, and it says, they continued to ask him. They kept after him. Come on, what are you going to do? He's, Jesus is down on the ground. He's writing in the dirt. And so they continued to ask him, and he stood up and he said to them, let, let him who is without sin among you be the first to throw a stone at her. And once more he bent down and he wrote on the ground. So I love his response. He didn't say one way or the other. Here's what he said. Yeah, I get the law. But let the person that's never sinned, let the person who is without sin, you be the first one to throw a stone. And the story continues that <laughs> they kind of look at each other. Oh, man. Now we're caught because we're hypocrites. And it says that once more he, wrote, he bent down and wrote on the ground, but when they heard it, they went away one by one, beginning uh, with the older ones, and Jesus was left alone with the woman standing before him. Wow, can you imagine being the last person to leave that day? You're standing there, everybody's gone, you're the last one, you're last in line, and you're thinking, what just happened? This was our best shot. This woman's a, this, this woman's a bad person. She's a sinner, and now we're the ones that are leaving. It was an interesting place to be in. Take for a second and just imagine that you're there that day. What, what are you thinking? What's going through your mind? You know, Jesus' response is powerful because the, the, the scribes and the Pharisees came to condemn this woman. They came to trap Jesus. And in the process, Jesus not only frees this woman, but he's gonna free the religious leaders. He's gonna free the Pharisees because they were, this is an incredible contrast of people. The woman knew her situation. She knew that she, this, that she I'm sure she thought today's the day I'm gonna die. She knew the law, she knew the rules, she knew what happened to people like her. But here are the religious leaders and they're all pumped up and they're full of pride and they're, they've made a living at obeying the rules and looking good and following the instructions and doing it better than anybody else. But when push comes to shove, they're no better than her. And Jesus is saying, you're just as much a slave to your pride and, and your arrogance as she is to her sin. And you both need freedom. You both need to be free. Take a second and think about our lives. 
You know, some of us, some of us can relate to that woman and we know, man, I have, I've just destroyed my life. I have messed up my life. I've done so many bad things. How could God ever forgive me? And there is Jesus standing there forgiving you. And then others of us are, have grown up in the church and, and, and we've learned to keep the rules, but maybe keeping the rules and keeping everything straight, that's become a, a point of pride for us that it's about how good we act and how well we keep the rules. It's not about our relationship with Christ and what he's done, but it's about how we look and, and how we live our lives and, and who gets in and who doesn't get in and who's as good as us and who's not as good as us. And we're just as much a slave as that woman was. And Jesus came to point out the difference, but to say, I'm offering freedom to all of you. So when they all left, Jesus stood up and he looks at the woman and he says, where are those who condemn you? And she looks around and she says, no one, Lord. And I think it's just an interesting little piece there that I think is very intentional. It feels very small, but it's very intentional because when the scribes and the Pharisees came in, they said, teacher, this woman is caught in the very act of adultery. When that woman looks in Jesus' eyes, she calls him Lord. She knows who she's talking to. She knows exactly who he is. He is the Lord. He's the Christ. And she said, no one's here. Just us. Jesus said to her, neither do I condemn you. Go, and from now on, sin no more. Go, and sin no more. If we put ourselves in the place of this woman for a second, I, I, I don't know how she got into this mess. I don't know how she got to this place, but if you were a woman in the first century, you had very few options. If, if, you, if you're a widow and you don't have a son that's old enough to work and take care of the family, and you don't have a family, an extended family that you can go back to, uh, then you had really two options. You either became a beggar or a prostitute, that there were just no options for women in the first century. That's kind of all you had. And, and so she is trapped in this mess and she doesn't know how to get out and she doesn't know what to do. And she's completely helpless and hopeless until she is thrown in humiliation and shame in front of Jesus. And he says, where are those who condemn you? So one of, maybe one of the greatest sentences in the Bible and then she says, no one's here. No one's condemning me. And then he says this, go. You're free. You're redeemed. You're saved. But change your life. Don't sin anymore. Don't do this anymore. You know what happens if you're there that day, if you're in the crowd and you're watching all this happen, and you realize that Jesus, right in front of all the scribes and the Pharisees, he's forgiven this woman and, and he's called them out in their own situation, their own sin, their own pride and arrogance and all of that stuff. If you're, if you're watching all of that and you see what Jesus has just said to this woman and she comes back into the community, what are you gonna do? Not only has Jesus forgiven her, but he has placed her back into community. He's saying, if you don't want her living in your neighborhood, then you're gonna have to go, you're gonna have to deal with me because I've forgiven her. I've given her freedom. And it's just a remarkable thing. I had a couple of just really sweet young women that were coming, that come to the church and, and one day they were, we were talking and, and they had had a really hard life. I mean, a really hard life. And they're talking to me and they said, here's the thing in our lives that we we already knew we were sinners. <laughs> that was no secret. 
There was no getting around that. We knew we were sinners. What we didn't know, what nobody had ever told us is how much Christ loves us. And that's what changed everything. You didn't have to convince us that we were sinners, but we just desperately needed to hear how much Christ loved us. And I think that's so true in our lives. That's so true for many of us. And really, whether you've grown up in the church and you know all the stuff, or, or whether your life has been a mess, we need to know how much Jesus loves us. Because he wants us to experience his freedom. He wants us to know what real freedom looks like. He wants us to be free. So, let me just read another passage out of the book of Psalms get a little perspective on what God has for us. Psalm 103, starting at verse six, says this, the Lord works righteousness and justice for all who are oppressed. He made known his ways to Moses, his acts to the people of Israel. The Lord is merciful and gracious, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love. He will not always chide, nor will he keep his anger forever. He does not deal with us according to our sins, nor repay us according to our iniquities. For as high as the heavens are above the earth, so great is his steadfast love toward those who fear him, those who put their trust in him. As far as the east is from the west, so far does he remove our transgressions from us. As a father shows compassion to his children, so the Lord shows compassion to those who fear him. For he knows our frame, he remembers that we're dust. God knows us and he loves us. And here's what he offers us. That those sins, those things in our lives that have bound us, that have trapped us, he offers to free us. He says, I'm gonna take those and I'm gonna scatter them as far as the east is from the west. Or maybe it's the east is from the west, I don't care. You get what I mean. Here's what 1 Peter 2.24 says. He himself bore our sins in his body on the tree that we might die to sin and live to righteousness. By his wounds, you've been healed. That, that's unbelievable. He who himself bore our sins in his body on the tree, on the cross, that we might die to sin and live to righteousness. By his wounds, you've been healed. Uh, do, do you know what this is saying? The Apostle Peter's trying to teach us is that here's what real freedom looks like. That while we're yet sinners, Christ died for us. That he gave his life for us. And all of us, whether you're the best scribe and Pharisee in the world or you're the woman caught in adultery or you're somewhere in between, we all deserve the penalty for our sin. We're all slaves to something. We're all caught up in something. We need a savior. And he's saying, that's what I came for. I came to give my life for you so that you might live for me. Freedom is following Jesus. Freedom following Jesus means that we live our lives the way God created us to live. Not our own rules, but not somebody else's rules, but the way God created us to live and we follow Jesus. And so now when I read the Bible, I don't read the Bible so that I can, so that I can you know, sort of keep track of the rules and kind of grade myself on how I'm doing, but I read the Bible so that I might love Jesus better. I read the Bible so I might please him more. I wanna know everything I can about Jesus so I can live a life that looks like him, that points people to him. 
that's pleasing to him. So Galatians 5.1 again, for freedom Christ has set us free. And he says, stand firm therefore and do not submit again to a yoke of slavery. And I, I put the picture of the yoke back up there. We looked at it a, a, probably about a month ago uh, that they would put these yokes on oxen and that's how they would get them to pull the plow or to pull heavy loads. And it was this big wooden beam that would go across their, their necks and it would, they would use it to direct them. They would use it to harness them. And what Jesus is saying is that there are yokes in our lives and it may be a yoke of sin, but it also may be that yoke of pride and arrogance that, that keeps us from living in freedom in Christ. And if you think about Matthew 11th chapter, it talks about Jesus says, take my yoke, take my burden. My yoke is easy and my burden is light. That it's a different yoke, it's a yoke of freedom. It's saying I'm following Jesus, I'm harnessed to him and I live my life to please him. I live my life out of love for Jesus because of what he's done for me, because the gift of the cross and the truth and the power of the resurrection. I live my life for Jesus. It's not living in the yoke of sin or even the law, but it's a freedom that comes from following Jesus. And then again, one of my favorite verses that I think really ties this together for us, and, and we're gonna have a slide for it because you've all memorized it, right? But, okay, so maybe you haven't, but it's one of my favorites. One of my life verses, Galatians 2.20, I've been crucified with Christ. It's no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. Think about that for a second. I've been crucified with Christ. My life belongs to him. It's no longer I who live, but it's Christ who lives in me. And the life I now live, I live by faith through Christ who loved me and gave himself for me. That's how I live my life, through Christ who loved me and gave himself for me. And now I want to please him. I want him to take my life. And that's what freedom looks like being all in for Jesus. That's a picture of freedom that we all need in our lives. The last words of Jesus to this woman are essential. Go and sin no more. She's free from her sin. She's free from her circumstances. She's free to live her life in the freedom she was created for. But the command that Jesus gives her is clear. He says, leave your old life, your old bondage behind, and learn to really live. Live as a follower of the one who loves you more than you ever dreamed. That's the kind of life you want to live. That's the freedom that you want to have. That's what you want your life to look like. I've got a little video I'd like you to watch for a second. In just a moment, we'll rejoin our pastor for today's closing thoughts. But first, we wanted to thank you for tuning in. North Bible Church is located in Scottsdale, Arizona, and exists to equip all generations to love God, love one another, and love the world. For more information about North, please visit our website at northbiblechurch.com. Now, some closing thoughts from our pastor. When, uh, when our oldest son was in high school, I've told some of you the story. He came to me one day and, and uh, asked me about going to a party uh, that night uh, at a friend's house. And so I asked him all the prerequisites, you know, who's going to be there, what's going to be happening, and all those things. And he's telling me. And so we go through this whole drill. And then um, I had this epiphany. I looked at him uh, and I said, okay, I just have one question for you. I said, do you love Jesus? And he looks at me like, come on, Dad, what kind of question? I mean, you know. I said, no, just 
answer that question, do you love Jesus? And he said, Dad, you know I love Jesus. And I said, good, then you decide what you're gonna do tonight. I don't want you to do it just because the old man says this is the best idea. I want you to do, I want you to act out of your love for Christ. Not just obeying a rule, not just me telling you what to do, but, but make your decision based on your love for Jesus. Of course, I got one of those, you know, but it was a, it was a great moment for us. And, and I knew he was making the decision that would carry him, uh, that the goal was that someday he wasn't gonna be with me, he wasn't gonna be with his mom, he was gonna be far away, and how was he gonna decide what to do with his life? How was he gonna make decisions? And I wanted him to learn to make decisions based on his love for Christ, and not just on the rules, or not just on what we had set up, or not just what he thought would make us happy, but out of his relationship with Jesus. And it, it pays, and that's kind of what the Lord is talking to us today, this morning, that we live our lives, and. And whether we're a rule keeper or not a rule keeper, the question is, do you love Jesus? And are you willing to live your life for him? Are you willing to follow him with your whole life? Give your whole self to him and seek him first in his kingdom. As always, we have prayer partners and they would love to pray with you and for you. So if you have a need, please stop by there and, and uh, it's a great privilege to pray. And then our prayer table, you can record your prayer requests and uh, we'll be praying with you and for you throughout the week. So those are two great opportunities for prayer. And um, so I have two things. One, I, my prayer for us this week is that we, will, that we will have a spring in our step and a joy in our heart because we are free. We are free to live our lives the way God created us to live our lives. We're free to live our lives because we love Jesus as followers of Christ. That is a great privilege, and that's a great joy for us. Now, I have one other thing I'm going to ask you. Friday night, we have the really fun thing, right? And it's going to be very, it's going to be really fun. That's why we named it that, because it's really fun. It's a clever way that we do those. But between now and Friday, we've got to get this room ready, so we're going to ask you guys, if you don't mind, stacking chairs for us in uh, stacks of eight before you go today, and we'll get all these chairs stacked before everybody leaves, and then we'll be ready to have fun on Friday, okay? I love you guys, God bless you, have a great day, thank you. Thank you for joining us for this week's message. North Bible Church is located in Scottsdale, Arizona and exists to equip all generations to love God, love one another, and love the world. For more information about North, please visit our website at northbiblechurch.com.